for the many blessings you blessed upon all of us in our church. And all God's people said, amen. Amen and amen. Well, good morning, Firewheel family. How's everybody doing today? Everybody good? Well, uh, I will go ahead and tell you, thank you. So many of you have already come up to me and Jen. Those of you who follow us on Facebook know that we had to make uh, kind of an emergency trip this week. And uh, we just got back from New Jersey literally this morning and just came right from the airport directly to church. And uh, I had the opportunity to do a funeral for a dear friend of mine. And 48 years old, passed unexpectedly, well, passed of cancer that he'd been battling the last past year. Um, and it was a very emotional uh, last few days for Jen and I, especially going back to our former church. It was a, a guy who we had the opportunity to lead to Christ and to be able to baptize and be able to see all those people there and be able to be part of that service. Um, it really reminded me as a minister of the gospel that it's a benefit and a privilege to be able to genuinely do life with people at the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. It's a solemn responsibility, and I'm grateful to God to be able to do it. So there's no place I'd rather be today than here because I want to be with God's people uh, especially. So uh, if I don't seem as overly uh, enthusiastic as usual, I am running on adrenaline, caffeine, and Jesus this morning, okay? So that's my, my cocktail that's going on this morning. But we're going to get through it, and we're going to jump back into the book of Esther, and I believe that we'll get some good stuff today. So we're going to find ourselves in Esther chapter 8 this morning. So if you want to start turning there, you can turn there. Esther chapter 8 this morning. I hope you guys enjoyed jo uh, Dr. Joe Allen last week. I hope you guys had a good time with the chaplain of DTS. And uh, Pastor Joe is great. And it was great to be able to just sit and be able to be ministered to as well. Uh, and so I'm really grateful for him being with us. And we got some more uh, cool and special guests coming uh, very soon that I'm very excited about as well that you'll hear about uh, in the coming days. So as we venture back into the book of Esther, remember there's two key theological terms that are running through the the thread of the book of Esther. And I'm continuously reminding you of these because we see them pop up all throughout the story, and we're going to see them pop up in the story again today. So the two key theological terms that I want you to remember that are two sides of the same proverbial coin is number one is the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God talks about God's comprehensive rule over all of life. It basically says he's the boss, he's in control, he has all the divine power, he has all the divine authority to be able to do whatever he pleases. As the psalmist says, our God is in the heaven, he does whatever he pleases, okay? So sovereignty talks to the scope of his authority and his power. Now providence speaks about God's gracious activity through history. So providence is when God moves within human history, as God puts his power into action on the stage of the human drama, and as he ventures into human history and moves and he acts. So these two things work in tandem together, and they're two sides, like I said, of the same coin. So a couple of weeks ago, when we were in Esther, we had finally gotten to the point of the story where Haman's plot is exposed, and he is then hung on the very gallows that he created to be able to hang his enemy, Mordecai. So Haman is hung, Esther finally reveals her identity as a Jew and shows the plot that is against her people, and so God sovereignly and providentially protects Esther, in that situation, the king extends his gold scepter to her so she can be able to come forward. She's able to speak and tell him exactly what's going on and then identifies herself with the Jews. She's not executed. As a matter of fact, 
uh, the king steps away for a moment, and then uh, Haman is actually bowing down and begging Esther to save his life. And the king comes back and thinks uh, that he's getting a little too touchy-feely with his woman. And so he gets the wrong intention of what's going on and then executes him because he thinks that he's trying to do something to the queen. And somehow God is working in all of this mess. Esther reveals her identity as a Jew and the identity of Haman as the villain of the story. God protects her and the Lord executes judgment on Haman through the king. So here's my one true statement as a way of review from last, uh, a couple weeks ago. We talked about how God protects his own. God protects his own. Now this morning I want to speak to you about the subject of rewards. This is something we typically don't necessarily always speak about. So I want to talk to you about the concept and the topic of reward. And I genuinely believe that God rewards the boldness of Esther and the faithfulness of Mordecai. And we're going to see in Esther chapter 8 that that blessing then is going to flow out to them based upon their actions. Now let me say it this way. Let's start off with a, a, an experiment real quick. I don't know about you, but people in general were often motivated by rewards. How many of you guys ever go to a new restaurant and then immediately, if you like the restaurant, find out if they have a reward program? Anybody ever do that? You go immediately to the app store, you go to the Google Play store, you go to the app store, you download in that app so you can get that free appetizer or whatever the case may be on your next visit. So you're doing that and then all of a sudden they got your patronage, right? Because you get rewards, you like the food, you keep on going back. So here's a little uh, social experiment. How many of you right now, physically, whether it's a physical card in your wallet or if you use Google Pay or if you use Apple Pay, how many of you have at least five reward cards in your possession right now? Y'all raise your hand. At least five. Oh, come on. I know more of y'all have more than five than that. Y'all lying in church. Oh, come on now. See, now y'all getting me going. You see that? So, all right. How many of y'all got more than ten? More than 10. All right, don't be ashamed. Y'all got more than 10. Anybody got more than 20? I probably got 20. I don't even know. But my favorite one is that Costco executive card so I can get my cash back with Costco. So uh, Costco is like, uh, is like adult Disney. You know, so that's when you know you've reached the peak of adultness. When you, when you actually get excited to go to Costco. All right? But we're all motivated by rewards. Now, we're all examples of this reality. Now let me make the connection to our spiritual life. Some would say that we cannot be motivated by reward because that's unscriptural or maybe even sinful. I would say to that line of thinking, then why is the Bible filled with promises that God makes to the believer? As a matter of fact, God often promises the believer, specifically in the midst of suffering and trial, about the ultimate reward that they will receive when Jesus returns and when they will be with their king. If you read the book of 1 Thessalonians, they're going through persecution and Paul encourages them with the coming day of the Lord. And he basically says, keep your eye focused on that reality. Because here's what's important, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't matter whether or not we are rewarded in this life. Because in the life to come, the reward that you will have as being a child of God is so much more greater than the temporal things you can receive on this earth. Most people think about blessing and reward. They're like, okay, I want more of my paycheck. I want more of my bank account. But I'm telling you, you want more in your spiritual bank account. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing under heaven. 
According to Ephesians, we are truly blessed people. And I believe that God rewards the faithfulness of his people. Let me go ahead and tell it to you this way. Here's my one truth for you this morning. God rewards those who follow him. God rewards those who follow him. Now, here's what I'm not saying by that statement. I'm not saying that our relationship with God is solely based upon what we can get from him. I am not saying that you can manipulate God by the things that you do. God is not at your beckoning call. Just because you want God to do something doesn't mean he works on your timetable, doesn't mean he works according to your agenda or work for your will. Last time I checked, it's his will, not I will be done. So that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is I believe that it's not sinful and I believe that God actually builds within us a desire to be able to love him and then we receive from him blessings as an act of his love. God rewards us because he loves us. Not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it some way. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, we just sang it, right? We, just because of that reality, God still gives it to us because he loves us. Because he's a good, good father. So let's look at Esther chapter 8. We are going to see how Mordecai and Esther are rewarded and how that reward that they receive then overflows to the Jewish people. How they are not just blessed, but then that overflows to others. Let's look at Mordecai first. Esther chapter 8, starting in verse 1. On that day, King Ashuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. So Esther reveals the relationship that they have. And the king took off his signet ring, his sign of authority. Anytime a king would uh, send a document, he would seal it with a wax seal, and he would press into it his signet ring. That basically meant that that was with the king's authority, and that was his power, and he was signing off on whatever that thing was. So it says, the king takes off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. He's basically saying, Mordecai, you're my man now. You're my man. Take this ring. You have all the king's authority and power now. You're my man now. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Jump down to verse 15. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple, and the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. Now remember back in the story that this is the same guy, Mordecai, who tells the king about the assassination plot against his life. And we talked about how Mordecai could have felt slighted in some ways because it seemed like he was overlooked. Because at that moment, from all human standpoint, it seemed like he was the man fit for the job who should have gotten the job that Haman got in the first place. But now in God's perfect timing, he then gets Haman's job, so to speak, and Haman is no longer in the picture. Literally not in the picture anymore. But God comes full circle and gives Mordecai then this position of authority, second in command, basically, of the Persian Empire, a Jew nonetheless. So Mordecai receives this reward that in some ways we could say was coming to him. Remember when, uh, remember when the king reads the, the, the um, he reads basically this account of who needs to be rewarded, and he remembers what 
uh, Mordecai did. And then Haman says, he starts telling Haman, what should we do for this kind of person? And Haman's like, well, we should go ahead and parade him around in the city. Put him on the king's chariot and all that. And he's like, good, do that for Mordecai. And he makes Mordecai <laughs> his sworn enemy parade him around the city in king's robes and in the king's Mercedes-Benz chariot, you know. It's like Mordecai was given the key to the city, so to speak. It becomes the second in command. When I think about Mordecai in this story, here's the thought that comes to my mind. Let me make a, a, a principle here. That God will reward the faithful in his time. God will reward the faithful in his time. Mordecai initially was overlooked, and then he receives the position for which he was overlooked. And it takes a sequence of events that God was still working out. And in God's perfect timing, Mordecai was then exalted. And so Mordecai then receives his reward in God's timing. Because God will reward the faithful in his time. It's very easy to see, ladies and gentlemen, that your timing and my timing is usually never in line with God's timing. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. If not, you will. I promise. Okay? We often want instant results. I call it microwave Christianity. You know what I mean? What is a microwave for? You want it quick. You throw it in there, one minute, it better be done. It's coming out, it's hot, you want it instant. Whether it's whatever, you know, thing that you throw in there. I think we can even fall into the, the trap of entitlement and think that somehow God owes us. God, I've been a good boy. I've been a good girl. I've done things right. I've lived my life right. I've paid my tithe. I've done all this stuff, and God, I, you know, why is all this stuff happening to me? I feel like I deserve a little something. We may never say that, but oh, we sure live it sometimes. Somehow that God owes us. But God doesn't owe us, but he rewards us because he loves us as an expression of his love. How many of you, when you were a kid, or how many of the kids in here receive an allowance? How many of y'all, when you were a kid, received an allowance, right? Now, I didn't grow up receiving an allowance. There was a very real time in our, my life, I grew up in an urban inner city when we were on welfare. So I didn't, I didn't grow up with no allowance. So I, don't, I didn't know what an allowance even was as a kid because everybody else was getting it except me. Okay? But that being said, what I've come to learn about an allowance, whether or not whatever your system is, it's basically some kind of agreement that you have with your children that if they do certain exercises, then they may get certain things or they may get a certain sum of money, whether it's a chore chart or whether it's all kind of different things that they got now that I see all kind of different parents using. Now, if you were given an allowance, usually there's some terms to that you receiving it. And maybe it's a certain length of time, a certain activity, whatever it may be, that you would earn that reward. In some sense, you're earning a reward. It's almost like an agreement that's been, uh, that you guys have between a parent and a child. Maybe that's an agreement between a husband and a wife, too. I like to spend stuff, you know, just playing. Some of y'all just didn't get that. That's okay. I'm the one who's supposed to be tired. All right. I'm sure some of you wanted, some of you, if you were, <laughs> I, I'm sure some of you, you know, maybe are not, if you want to be truthful, that when you completed the exercise, you wanted the reward right away. Your kids have never done that to you, right? Be like, I just cleaned my room. Give me my $20, you know, and ask you for the money then and there. Keeping, keeping their hands out as soon as that trash got thrown out. Now, here's the deal. 
As a parent, are you obligated to reward your children for doing the things around the house? No, you're not. In some ways, we could say that they should be responsible to be able to uh, participate in the activities of the household. You're not responsible in any way, but why do you do it? You do it maybe to teach them some things, but you also do it as an act of love. You're not, there are, your arm's not twisted. You choose to reward them because you love them. That's exactly what God does. It isn't like God has this whole chore chart and basically says, okay, you've been a good boy today, so let's see, you, you, you went to church this week, you prayed five times, you read your Bible, so then this equals this blessing. We'll give you this blessing today. It's not like God's got some divine chore chart. What God is, as a father who wants to lavish on his children, he says, I love you so much, I'm going to bless you with things that you don't even know that you need, and I'm going to allow that blessing to overflow, so that way it overflows on others that are around you. Because I love you. As a parent, as a good father, I love you and I want you to have the very best. And sometimes the very best means that you don't even get the thing that you think that you want. Because I know better than you do. But I want to give to you good things. I want to give to you good gifts. Jesus said, he talked about the giving of good gifts and he says, even basically the people who are non-believers know how to give good gifts. And he says, a father, when he gives somebody, his child, he's asking for bread, a serpent, right? I think we get mixed up a little bit when it comes to the concept of reward. We try to make God obligated to us, and that's not how it works. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have been promised a reward that is not instant in this sense, but it motivates us in the here and now. We are promised everlasting life that we only taste here. Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, the life. He talked about eternal life being that they would know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So in knowing Jesus, we know something about eternal life that we just taste now. But the reality of that life does not come until the day we take our last breath or that sky cracks and if we're still here, that Jesus returns. But the reality is, is that reward, that's what it is. It's a reward, and that's not a bad thing to say. I didn't cuss in church by saying that. Paul talks about the crown when he, when, he's, when he likens faith to running a race, and he says that I have laid up for me a crown that I'm going to receive. The reality is, is that Jesus promises his followers that where I am, you will be. That is glorious. That's worth more money than can ever go into your bank account. That is worth more than the largest house you could ever have, the best car that you could ever drive. We are promised everlasting life that's fully redeemable upon death or when he returns. Revelation 21.4 says this, He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I long for that day. But it's a promise that I hold on to. It's a very real reality. A promise is only as good as the person who gives it. And I don't know about you, but I trust my God in his promises. I believe he's a promise keeper. And I believe that this promise 
this reality that when we take our last breath and we are absent from the body and we are present with the Lord, but this promise when there will be a new heaven and a new earth, when God will make his dwelling amongst men, when the spirit will be reunited to the body in a glorified body, where all things, all presence and traces of sin, the brokenness of this disgusting world will all be done away with, when he will be our God and we will be his people, and that there will need to be no light because the light will literally radiate from his throne. He is the light. That reality is a reward that I so long for. And I hope that you long for that as well. That is a motivating factor. I don't know about you, but that helps me think about getting through a lot of the crap in this world. Because even if I live a hundred years, a hundred years is a blip according to everlasting, eternal Ongoing, never-ending life. Let me give you a question right here that I want you to ponder as a practice. Right here, right now. Is, here's the question. How does thinking about eternal life help me for the here today? How does thinking about eternal life help me live for today? Maybe you never even think about heaven. Maybe you never even think about what that'll be. For some of you, you are at the latter stages of your life and maybe the very real reality of the frailness of the human life, maybe it is something that you think about. But I want to encourage you, I don't care how young you are or how old you are. The goal of the Christian life is to be with Jesus. That's the end. Heaven is where he is. Where God resides is where his people will be with him. That's where we want to be. That's the goal. That's the, that's the trajectory. That's where we're going. Sometimes thinking about that reality makes things a little bit more easier when we're going through some difficult times on this side of heaven. Let's look at Esther. Look at verse 3. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pled with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, she rose and stood before the king. Verse 5. And she said, If it please the king... And if I have found favor in his sight, that word again continuously comes up, if I found grace, basically, in his sight. And if this thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, son of Hamadatha, which he had wrote to destroy the Jews who were in all the provinces of the king. Verse 6. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Ashuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows, because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. Verse 8. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it. Seal it with what? The king's ring. The signet ring, that's what he's saying. Seal it. You can write it and seal it so it has my authority. 
and seal it with the king's ring, for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. We've already talked about this. Remember that when the first edict was issued by Haman, when he tricked the king and basically wanted to pay off the king to exterminate the Jews, when the king issued the edict, and they basically had about a 12-month period before the edict would be enacted, that the law of the Medes and Persians would not allow an edict that was signet ringed to be revoked. So what is the king then going to do? So then this is interesting, verse 9. The king's scribes were summoned at that time in the third month, which is the month of Savan, on the 23rd day. And an edict was written according to all that Mordecai had commanded concerning the Jews, to the satraps and to the governors and to the officials of the provinces from e India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces. To each province in its own script and to each people in its own language and also to the Jews in their script and their language. Here's the edict. And he wrote in the name of King Ashuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses so that they were used in the king's service. He sent it via FedEx. There you go. Bread from the royal stud. The best of the best horses bringing it. Saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and to defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. So this edict is twofold. Number one, you can execute all those people that try to come after you on the day of the edict that was initially given. Number two, after you execute them, take all their stuff. Pastor Pina's translation, okay? But that's basically what he's saying to them, right? Verse 16, the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor, and in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict had reached, there was gladness and joy amongst the Jews, a feast and a holiday, and many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews for the fear of the Jews had fallen on them. Hey, I'm a Jew, I'm a Jew. <laughs> All of a sudden they had, they had mass conversion, you know, going on. But here's the deal, we'll actually read about the execution of this edict next week about what happens. But I want you to hear what is being said here. There is this edict that can't be revoked according to the law of the Medes and Persians that's already in place. A Jew is risen to power, second in command in the nation, is given the king's signet ring. He's able to then write another edict. The king seals the edict and he's like, okay, we'll enact this edict, allowing you to protect yourself and to plunder the goods of the people. The king just allowed a Jew to sign a death warrant for his own people. It doesn't say that the Persians are off limits. Who's going to get executed? Persians. There's no way that if this couldn't be somehow, that God's not working through this. The king is going to allow his own people to be executed for the sake of two Jews who shouldn't even be in his palace if God was not at work. And somehow he's going to protect them through this. He allows the Jews to defend themselves and does not restrict deadly force. This is an obvious victory for the Jews. They leave rejoicing when just a few days prior they were in mourning. And here is Esther making a request of the king as she is rewarded with the deliverance of her people. Because of her boldness, 
because of just a few chapters ago when Mordecai had told her, don't you think that you might be in this position for just such a time as this, and don't think that just because you are in the king's court, that being a Jew, that this will not come to your house as well. And then she's willing to step up and say, whatever it'll be, will be to me. I'm still going to go in, pray and fast for me. Three days later, she goes before the king, even though she hadn't been with him for 30 days. Willing to do that and willing to walk in boldness. Here's the connection I believe for us. Is that when God blesses us, that overflows to those who are around us. There's no way this story comes to the conclusion that it does had not a Jewish queen been in place in a Persian kingdom. And the, the favor that she receives, notice again, over and over and over and over again, the word favor appears. The Hebrew version of the word grace. She receives grace, she asks for grace, she receives grace, she asks for grace. Over and over and over and over and over again. Why? Because God is going to preserve his people. And it's because of her that the king blesses her that that then outpours to everyone around her. The whole idea of that we are blessed to be a blessing can look very different in many different situations. I'm reminded of Acts chapter 2. At the end of Acts, when the day of Pentecost happens and Peter preaches the sermon, all these people start coming. We see the first recorded message of the church and then we see the establishment of the church. And then when Luke summarizes at the end of Acts chapter 2 all the activity of the church that's going on, one of the things that immediately strikes me is the lavish generosity of God's people. In Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, it says this, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, meaning that, it, that everything that was mine was yours. And they were selling all their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had needs. In this sense, radical generosity came over the body of Christ. And I genuinely believe that if this kind of spirit of radical generosity would come over the body of Christ again, we could literally eliminate poverty. But that's not even the point. The point is, is I believe that God uses people who are part of his kingdom, who receive blessings, in this case maybe even financial blessing, to be blessings to other people where that blessing then overflows because God is that much in love and concerned with his children that he will allow other brothers and sisters in the family to be able to bless one another, to be able to help one another. How many of you have ever been on the receiving end of being blessed by somebody else? Praise God. Praise God, because that's the way family works. That's the way the body of Christ is supposed to work. That's what God wants us to do. We are not blessed in a vacuum. We don't live just for ourselves. We are interconnected. We are a body. Here at Firewall Bible Fellowship, we are a local extension of the global body of Christ. But here we are a body. We exist for one another, not just individually. To bless, to care, to love one another. To be there for each other. God wants to bless his people. For some of you, it has nothing to do with money. Some of you are very skilled with your hands. You can bless somebody else with the ability that has been given to you. Why do you think we've all been given spiritual gifts? A gift is something that is received and something that you can use to then bless somebody else. 
but we can then use it in turn to bless others. Esther's reward overflowed to her people. The Jews would not have been delivered had she not been in her position, had she not walked in boldness, had she not received favor from the king. They were partakers of the blessing of Esther's faithfulness. Sometimes we are blessed, we are recipients, and we are the ones who receive the blessing of someone else's faithfulness. Let's summarize this for you. So we talked about how God rewards those who follow him. We're not saying that God is in any way obligated to us. But what I am saying is that God as a loving father wants to bless his children. And he does so as an act of love and an act of grace. Because he just loves us. And he wants us. He wants what's best for us. And sometimes when we use the word blessing, we automatically default to think about financial. And it's not just that. Sometimes it does come in that means. But when God rewards those who are faithful to him, it just overflows. It really does. Mordecai is rewarded. He receives his reward in giving Haman's old position. We see how God rewards in his own time because Mordecai was initially overlooked. But then he receives the reward for his faithfulness because of the faithfulness of Esther. And then we see how Esther's rewarded. She's rewarded because she's received favor from the king. She's able then to be able to be the recipient, the one who receives the blessing from the king to be the deliverer of her people. Because we are blessed to be a blessing that it may overflow out of us just like it did for Esther. So as we close, let me ask you a question. Is how can you this week be a blessing to another person? How can you allow God's blessing in your life to overflow to another individual? For some, maybe that is something that you can help financially to another individual. Maybe for others, it's just being there for somebody that you know who's going through something. Maybe for others, it's utilizing the gifts that God has given you with your hands to be able to do a task for a person that they can't do or they can't afford. Whatever it is, we are so richly blessed as the people of God, and we are conduits of that blessing. Don't be a stop valve. Be a conduit. Be a conduit. As God's grace flows through you, as God blesses you, that is supposed to outpour to those who are around us as well. That people may see our God and how he's working in your life. Let's be a people who are a people who are quick to bless. Let's bless each other. Let's bless others. Let's bless those that we don't even know that they may see the true love of our God as we love each other well. Amen? Let's pray. So, Lord, we are grateful that you have blessed us in so many ways and in so many innumerable, innumerable ways that we can't even count. And, God, you didn't bless us in isolation. You didn't cause us, to, you didn't tell us to live in isolation. But, Lord, you have given us an opportunity to be a blessing to others as well. And, Lord, when I think about Mordecai and how he was rewarded in due time, Lord, I do think about that coming day. I think about the hope that we have, that you are the resurrection in the life. That he who believes in you, that 
even though he may die, yet he will still live. As you told Martha as she was mourning over her brother Lazarus. Lord, we thank you for the hope of resurrection and the reality of eternal life that we can have through Jesus Christ. We know that our time here on this earth is temporal. And God, that you are the one who's overcome death in every way. So that gives us hope. Lord, I pray when things are difficult, I pray that we would look to that hope. And I pray that you would encourage us always with it. That where you are, we may be also. So Lord, we do love you. We commit this word, we commit our hearts, our lives to you. That we may serve you and live for you well. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward. We're going to have an opportunity for prayer. If you need any prayer for anything, please allow some folks to love you well and to be able to pray with you. Uh, and those of you who are in the crowd and we're going to have an opportunity to worship, I would encourage you whether you'd like to stand or stay seated. Uh, this is a time for us to engage not for a time for us to spectate, and uh, let's connect with God and just respond to what the Lord is doing uh, with us this morning. Amen.
your first time here at Firewheel. Uh, we're really glad that you are here this morning. Uh, we'd love to take an opportunity to be able to uh, connect with you. Y'all may be seated. And uh, right behind me, there's a QR code. If you want to scan that, uh, you can fill out a connection card, and we'd love to be able to see how, where you're at in your spiritual walk and see how we can come alongside of you. There's also physical connection cards over at our connection center in the lobby. Uh, please make sure to stop by there. We'd love to give you a special gift for worshiping with us and love to connect you with one of our guest services attendants. If you have any questions about Firewheel, some of the things that go on here in ministries, love to be able to give you some of that information. And I'd love to be able to meet you at the end of the service. Uh, ushers, we're going to ask you to come forward. We're going to go out and worship the Lord through giving. Every Sunday we have an opportunity to worship the Lord as giving of offering financially uh, as a way to keep ministry going. Uh, that's the re reality of it. And so uh, God is a gracious giver, and he continues to provide for us as a church, and I know many of you individually as well. And so I thank you for your gracious giving, uh, so that way we can continue the work that God has called us to in this area. So let me go ahead and pray over the offering. So Lord, we thank you that you are so good to us, and that you give us so much. And Lord, I thank you that we can bless you in this way to give uh, our offering as an expression that money is a tool that can be used for ministry and that, Lord, we want to sow seed into the work that's happening here at Firewheel. And, Lord, we pray that you would bless the gift and the giver, cause it to multiply, and let us steward it well for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, and welcome to Firewheel Bible Fellowship, where we strive to be Christ-centered and gospel-focused. Here's what's happening at Firewheel. Our final session of Couples Talk will be this Wednesday, February 22nd, and our regularly scheduled Wednesday night programming will begin March 1st. Firewheel Youth will continue to meet weekly. Sunday, February 26th, immediately following the service, will be an important meeting to give updates to our Firewheel family. There will not be childcare for this event, so all attendees can come. Parents, plan on some snacks and coloring pages for the little ones. At Firewheel Bible Fellowship, volunteers make ministry possible. On March 5th, we want to shower our volunteers with love. If you have ever held a baby, volunteered to pray for someone, served in guest services, or any of the many other areas, we would love to thank you with a special gift. So show up ready to feel the love. For more info on these or any of the events going on around Firewheel, check us out at firewheelfellowship.com events or you can find us on social media. All right, guys, if you'll stand, we'll go ahead and pray our benediction over you, get you dismissed, and we'll finish off the book of Esther next week.
So may the Lord go before you to light the path and give you direction. May he go behind you to guide your steps. May he go beside you to keep you from stumbling. May he go above you to protect you. And may he go within you to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And may our Father in heaven always grant you the character that is greater than your gifts and humility that is greater than your influence. God bless you guys. We love you all so much. You ought to dismiss. See you next week. Mm. Thank you.